0: We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this wonderful Sunday morning. How much are you uh, willing to sacrifice? Now you're doing the calculation in your head, aren't you? Like, well, he hasn't told us what we're sacrificing for, right? And, And I think that's a pretty natural calculation. In fact, I would, I would say you, you should do that calculation, right? Most times in our life, um, if we are going to sacrifice something, if you're going to, to give something up, I think it is human nature for us to ask of ourselves, um, what are we giving up this thing for, right? And I think in each of our minds, uh, in everyday aspects, we do kind of a cost-benefit analysis, right? Um, this is the last Sunday in the season of Lent, uh, as you know, sometimes traditionally in the season of Lent, uh, people will, will give up things for Lent, right? So they will, they will sacrifice something, um, ideally to, to, to great, give us greater focus um, as we head into Easter, to have a greater focus on, uh, on Jesus' passion, on like the passion readings we've been reading, right? But, but what limits are there for what you are willing to give up? That's a little bit of a cost-benefit analysis, isn't it? Right? Maybe some of you gave up things for Lent, right? Maybe you've held strong and, and uh, you're still doing that this morning, right? Um, but I think we kind of ask ourselves, what's this going to cost? And I think there would be different levels to that, okay? So I'm going to take the question a step further. What would you sacrifice for your own children or for your nearest and dearest loved ones around you? Okay, well, that's a different question a little bit, isn't it? Um, I would say this, it's the same question, but how has the calculation changed? Well, how much you care for that person. So now maybe you're doing the cost-benefit analysis, you say, well, maybe I'd give up a little bit more for the people I love that God has put into my life, right? Um, I think that, that cost-benefit analysis, that concept of what would we give up, Right, uh, um, I think we do that in a hundred different ways, and I'm going to go out on a limb to say that even within the, the world around us, um, there is a level of admiration for those of us, for those in our world that are willing to sacrifice greatly for the good of others. Right, we see that. That's why we have we have uh, memorials to that, to to, to uh, soldiers that have given their life in service to our country. That's why we 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 in general in our world place a high regard on those that are willing to sacrifice for someone else's life. There's a park in London. This is called Postman's Park. It doesn't look all that famous or fabulous. Uh, I, I highly doubt anyone's going to answer yet. Has anyone ever been to Postman's Park or heard of it? Okay. It's not, it's more of a, I think they call it like a parquette, which I think is like a sermonette, which is just supposed to be smaller, right? But parkette, right? So it, it's, just, it's kind of tucked away. Um, this is Postman's Park in London. Uh, for those of you that uh, are maybe uh, movie lovers or cinephiles, Postman Park was actually kind of uh, in part of a, uh, a key scene uh, in the movie Closer, which I actually never saw, but it was based on a, on a play also called Closer. Um, but that's Postman Park in London. It's kind of tucked away, kind of a parkette. Um, but this park uh, has been around since about 1900. So that was when they founded it. Uh, it's this strange little piece of property that was kind of disputed and it was in between several different churches. Uh, throughout the years, the 1800s, it, it had been um, various levels of graveyards actually. So it had been cemeteries of different kinds. But um, by about 1900, they needed to decide what they were going to do with this little parquet. Um, and, and that was when uh, there was a man, a sculptor, or an artist that said, I've got an idea for Postman's Park. He said, it's a smaller park, this isn't one of the most famous, this isn't Trafalgar Square, this isn't the Big Grand, Buckingham Palace, any of those things but um, we're going to make this little, this parquet a, a nod to or a, a remembrance of, of everyday sacrifice of Londoners, right? And in that parquet, it's simply just an overhang on the front of it, it says this, in commemoration of heroic self-sacrifice. Okay? So now you're probably getting a little idea of what this park was dedicated for. Um, the, the intent was that this wasn't, um, um, this wasn't necessarily big, flashy, grand things, but that everyday people that had given their life in sacrifice to save someone else's life. Okay? The very first plaque that is up there is about a woman named Alice Ayers. It was placed there right at the founding, about 1899, right? Um, the last plaque that has been placed there was done in 2007. First one, a woman named Alice Ayers. She was the daughter of a bricklayer's laborer. She saved three children from a burning building at the cost of her own lives, or her own life, rather. I think we would call that heroic, wouldn't we? I think the parents of those children would call that heroic. That she was willing, she was, she was in charge of these kids, that she was willing to lay down her life so that these children could live. She actually got them out of that burning building, uh, dropped them onto a mattress below, but then she was overcome by the smoke and ended up losing her life. So that was the very first one. I think we would, we would say that, that's heroic, isn't it? That she chose to give her life in place of three children that were not her own. The last one that went up in 2007 was from a man named Lee Pitt. Um, and, and a little bit similar in the sense that he gave up his life to save a child. So a child had fallen into a canal. Uh, he jumped in to save him. Ended up being able to save the child but, but drowned himself. Right? I think we would say that's heroic, right? Right? Uh, um, folks that are, are willing to give their life in sacrifice for the life of another. Now, our world, I think, esteems that. And we recognize on some level the value in that. I think what happens, though, for us is maybe there are times that we, we begin to do the equation. So even as I put these plaques up there or as I asked at the beginning of the sermon, what, what would you sacrifice and we made it a little more personal. I said, "What would you sacrifice for people that you dearly love?" We still can't, on some level, almost help but do the equation. So, would you have done what Alice or Lee did? It's un- it's uncomfortable a little bit. Here's what I think: all of you, all of us, would want to say yes. We would. I would want to do that. I would want to to give my life in service to saving a child. Like I think every one of us would say, yes, that's what I want to do. But when it comes down to it, I think each of us maybe have a little bit of doubt that's in there. We may ask of ourselves, but would I? (laughs) In that moment, would I make that calculation and would I say, no, the cost is far too high. Today, in Psalm 22, that's what we're talking about. We're asking ourselves, in Christ, what was was worth it? What cost-benefit analysis did God do, did Jesus do on our behalf? Because Psalm 22 points directly to the cross and sacrifice, okay? So today, that's what we want to look at. Uh, As I mentioned, we're going through, this called Psalms of the Passion and simply that word, why. And ultimately, Jesus is going to lead us from a question to a statement in that theme. uh, If you'd like to follow along, if you like following along, this is going to kind of be how we're going to go through our sermon this morning. Uh, We'll do a little bit of background first, but then uh, those three concepts, answering that question, why, or that statement, why, we want to talk about what is sacrifice, talk about satisfaction, and lastly, that it leads to singing. So that's kind of where, where we're headed in Psalm 22 this morning. So uh, you're going to be welcome to follow along with me in the bulletin. Uh, if you'd like, I'll have it on the screen behind me as well. But uh, Psalm 22 is arguably the most famous psalm in the entire Old Testament. Okay? It is. Um, psalm 22, hands down, is the most referenced and quoted psalm in the entire Old Testament. Okay? So when I say referenced and quoted, I mean specifically um, in the New Testament, right? So uh, um, um, more writers in the New Testament quote Psalm 22 than any other psalm in the entire book of Psalms. Okay, uh, the Apostle uh, uh, Luke actually says this in Acts 2 verse 31. Says this about Psalm 22. He says, "Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah." That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Um, this is actually an interesting reference. Um, Luke wrote this, recorded it, but this is actually Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Okay? So 50 days after Jesus' death on the cross, Peter stands up and says these words. And he points it directly and references back to Psalm 22, which is the basis for our text here today. Um, And so Psalm 22 um, looms looms large, I would would venture to say looms larger than any other psalm in that book for us as New Testament Christians. It's referenced over and over and over again. Now, what's the content of it? It was written by King David, um, and I'm going to go back to there. Uh, it was written by King David, um, and this is a painting. Uh, it was produced about the 1600s, um, and this is kind of of an elderly David. The point of this painting was to, to um, show David um, not just a, as king and priest, but also as prophet, kind of an old man David, saying these are the things that are to come. Um, what's fascinating about Psalm 22, and even as you heard me read it in, uh, earlier in our sermon, uh, um, it, it's clearly not about David, is it? Now, keep in mind, um, there are other psalms that David wrote that are clearly about David. When David is confronted with his sin, uh, with Bathsheba, with his adultery, uh, um, we have a psalm that responds to that. It's his confession of sin. Like, David pours out his heart, right? And David was a poet, he was a musician, he was a singer, and he wrote many of the psalms in the book of Psalms. But Psalm 22, even as we read it earlier, um, it feels a little bit different. feels different because... The truth is, it wasn't about David, right? Think of the content of that. Because the things that you hear about in Psalm 22, they never happened to David. In fact, David doesn't necessarily say they are happening to him, right? Um, And and even on a broader topic, they wouldn't happen to a king, right? The details of what is happening there are, are opening our eyes and even David's eyes to something that was far bigger and far greater. We call this prophecy, don't we? David is often called a a, um, a foreshadow or a forerunner of Christ. And we sometimes talk about prophecy um, having at times false summits. In this instance, in Psalm 22, um, David's not talking about himself. He's pointing ahead to someone, to something that is far greater, far more impactful, and that is yet to come. And so that's kind of the setting of Psalm 22. So um, if I didn't make the point, it's a remarkably important psalm. It is the psalm, actually. Okay? So let's jump into it. Uh, you're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Uh, first thing we want to talk about is that concept of sacrifice, right? What is sacrifice? So verse 7 and 8, and I'm going to read then verses 16 through 18. It says this, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. In 16 to 18, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. Now, there's a lot packed into these verses that we just read. Um, and we start to kind of unpack those things. But um, the things that we read probably start to ring true to you a little bit, don't they? Again, these didn't happen to David, but they happened to someone. That's what we celebrate here in this Lenten season as we look to Jesus. And so we see Jesus as the fulfillment of these in Psalm 22. As his clothes were divided by the soldiers, right? As those uh, were around him, hurled insults at him and mocked him. As all of his bones were on, di- on display as he hung naked on an instrument of his own death, right? As his hands and his feet were pierced and nailed to that cross. Psalm 22 is pointing towards Christ right? Pointing towards that fulfillment in Christ. And we say, okay, um, what level of sacrifice are we looking at here? And I think that maybe there's a little bit of a temptation for us. Um, I told someone else this the other day that um, Lent was always my favorite season as a kid. Uh, and I think, well, I was a kid. I didn't really understand what Lent was, but I knew two things. Um, I knew, number one, like, you always got soup. Like, we had soup supper at Lenten services. and like, oh yeah, we, okay, you guys you get to eat at church. Like, I thought, that's pretty cool. Uh, the second thing was Lent. Lent was always a little more somber, a little more meditative. And I don't know, for me as a kid, um, if I was just drawn to that, right? Maybe it's the purples of Lent. Maybe it's, it's all those things that come up. But it's a little more meditative. And for me as a kid, I thought, oh, this, like, this was different. This was this awakened my senses a little bit. Um, and I think sometimes we, we do that as well, right? But sometimes we do that um, in the context of Jesus. So we we revel in his in his pain and in his sorrow and and we see these things that were done to him and we feel bad for Christ and we feel bad about ourselves and we feel bad about the situation, right? And we say, well, look what Christ sacrificed. And I think that's appropriate, right? But here's the reality. Jesus isn't the first or last that has ever been treated like that. There have been martyrs before him and martyrs after him. There have been people that have been treated like Jesus was treated. There have been people that have been put to death. The Romans at that time were remarkably good at, at putting people to death on crosses. So there were crucifixions before Jesus and crucifixions after, it, right? And so when we talk about that concept of sacrifice, did Jesus sacrifice in the pain and the suffering and the insults? Absolutely. But if you were being cynical, if we were being cynical, if unbelievers were being cynical, say that he's not the first and he's not the last, right? People sacrifice for causes, right? And maybe you even put that into your Lent. like maybe you, you talk in those terms, like I sacrifice for, um, 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 to get in shape. Maybe I sacrifice for my job. Maybe I sacrifice for my kids, right? So I think we understand that, right? That, that some of the best things in our lives also involves sacrifice and suffering. And so Jesus did that, and that's appropriate. But if that's as far as he went, it doesn't actually solve the underlying issue for each and every one of us. In fact, if Psalm 22, if that's as far as it took us, it doesn't solve anything, which is a little bit of an issue for us, right? Because we can weather suffering, and you do. I don't know how you are suffering in your life, right? Loved ones, family members, loss of a job, uh, uh, loss of health, uh, um, the, just the normal struggles of relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, family units. Like, the, the reality of it is, is we all suffer, don't we? may look slightly different than what we talked about with Jesus, but we all suffer. And so I think it's important to understand that Psalm 22 takes us beyond just suffering, but it ultimately takes us to sacrifice. The next couple of verses, first couple of verses show us that explicitly. Verse 1 and 2 says, my, "My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer; by night, but I find no rest." You want to know who quotes Psalm 22? You heard him today on the cross. Jesus does, (laughs) right? So we say arguably Psalm 22 is the most important psalm in the book of Psalms. Um, Jesus quotes it. As he hangs on the cross, as he gives his life for you and I, he quotes Psalm 22. Now what's interesting here is not only is he tying together Psalm 22, Old Testament and New Testament, um, but out of all the things that Jesus could say, out of all the people he could lash out at, out out of all the retribution that he could take against those who were causing him to suffer, what do Jesus' words speak of? They speak of abandonment. They speak of solitude. And from whom? From God, his Father above. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think here's the point of Psalm 22. And for us on this Lenten journey and for us as believers, it wasn't just that Jesus suffered. It's that he suffered the ultimate suffering. It's that he suffered abandonment by our God above, the lack of God's presence in any way, shape, or form. Uh, He took the loss, the separation that our sins had earned for us. He took that upon himself. No one at his side, no one propping him up, no one walking beside him, but complete abandonment from our God above. Sacrifice, right? Ultimately in Jesus, we see sacrifice that he was willing to make for you. And in fact, for the sins of the whole world. So on the cross, the full gravity of the impact of our sins is seen painfully clear as Jesus, in isolation from everyone and everything, including his God above, paid the price that our sins earned. That's what Psalm 22 points to. And I mentioned earlier we sometimes do a little bit of a cost-benefit analysis when we talk about sacrifice. Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything all of it, not just for people that liked him or loved him, but for people that hated him, right, for those that stood at the bottom of the cross and mocked him, for the, the, the thieves on the cross that were on his right and his left, for you and I, right, scripture tells us while we were still sinners, Christ died, he didn't wait till we got cleaned up enough, it says while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. That's that level of sacrifice that Christ had on our behalf and for you. That's what Psalm 22 points to, right? And and for a minute, we need to pull apart the significance of exactly what that means. Um, and And it means two things. It means that Christ's sacrifice for you was perfectly just, and Christ's sacrifice for you was perfectly loving at the very same time. Now, some are thinking, okay, that makes some sense. But here's the reality. In our cost-benefit analysis world, sometimes we pull those things apart, right? And here's what oftentimes it can look like. If you pull apart God's perfect justice and love, um, neither can stand without the other. If it just looks like justice... And we say, yeah, Jesus was really suffered, he really paid, um, and so if I listen to the right music and I come to church on Sunday morning and Holy Week, I go to every service that they offer and I go to Bible study, if, if, I, if I act like a Christian, if I do the right things and say the right things, um, then I'm going to be able to offset the sacrifice that Jesus made. I'm going to be able to help that along. Jesus was a good start, but surely it depends on me. To make things right, to make things just, to, to even the ledger, okay? If we take his justice, just, just pulled aside, ripped apart, we'd say, okay, I'm going to work really, really hard to pay off my debt and to get right with God. And I think at times we are tempted to say, oh yeah, that's a, that's a cost-benefit analysis that works. Or we go the other way and we say, actually, there's no cost. We have a God of love, he says he's a God of love, he died for the sins of all mankind and so he is entirely loving and so there is no cost to what we've done, no consequences to the actions we've taken, um, no ongoing results at all. All love, no justice, all justice and no love. The trouble with all love is it doesn't actually cost anything, does it? It doesn't recognize the reality of the sin and the pain and the havoc we create. And it actually doesn't pay for anything. And if you follow that to its logical end, it has no value. You've done that in your life, haven't you? Sign up for a class. It's free. Don't have to pay anything. Day comes and it's snowing outside. Probably not showing up. There's no cost to it. You've done the cost-benefit analysis. You said, I'm probably not going to show up, right? At the cross and in Psalm 22, we see Jesus, his perfect justice and his perfect love um, come beautifully together at that cross, God is just and he is right and he stands with the righteous, right? Uh, um, And sin must be atoned for or paid for. And it was in Christ as he was abandoned on our behalf. So perfectly just, Christ paid the price we could not, but also simultaneously perfectly loving in that Christ laid down his life for the sins of all mankind, right? Everyone, friends, family, enemies alike, he sacrificed his life for all, right? So at the cross, we see that justice and love come together. Theologians have a term for that. They call that substitutionary atonement. You want a big fancy word to use the rest of the day on your Sunday, right? But you get it. Substitutionary atonement. He stood in our place to pay the price we could not. And he has atoned you. He has washed you clean of your sins. Not because we're such good people or we've got such a good spark in us. But because of his incredible self-sacrificing undeserved love, we call that grace. Psalm 22, that's what we see. Now, what's the result for us? I pray it's freedom and it's joy and I pray that it's singing for you and I. What are our final few verses here? Verse 22 and 23 says this, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. So if you followed through all of Psalm 22, um, the first half is the problem, the issue. The second half is the solution. And ultimately, it ends in singing. And it ends in prayer. And it ends in um, 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 us revering and honoring our God above, right? for our salvation. That was true for Christ and that's also true for you and I because this is what substitutionary atonement means. You have been set free. You've been set free from the cost-benefit analysis of, of, of what we do versus what we don't, right? You are forgiven because of Christ as your Lord and Savior and the result is you get to live. You get to sing. You get to love. You get to honor your God above and love the people around you. You get to do these things because Christ's death has sprung us from that cage, right? I mentioned Psalm 22, arguably the most important psalm in the book of Psalms um, because it's referenced quite often. But what's fascinating is these last two verses are also quoted from the writer writer of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews 2 says this, So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Do you know who he's talking about there? He's talking about you. He's not ashamed of you. (laughs) He's not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters, right? He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And we do that and you do that each and every time that we, we share Christ and the forgiveness that we have in him. That's the point of Lent and Easter that we are about to celebrate. We are able to praise because we have been been forever and finally forgiven in Christ. Now, I said Psalm 22 was maybe arguably the most important psalm in the book of Psalms, Um, but you may have wanted to argue with me. But you're all very polite people, so you didn't argue with me out loud. Uh, What... For you, what is the most famous psalm in the entire book of psalms? Psalm 23, isn't it? So you might have taken your pastor to task and said, you're, like, I think you just got one number wrong. Like, you, you were just a little early pastor is all. I mean, you were close, but you know, that's, that's C's get degrees, pastor. Like, you know, you got close, but that was about it, right? So, um, I, and, but here's my argument. Um, unless Psalm 22 happens, Psalm 23 doesn't. Unless Christ is our our substitute, we can't walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. And so I would argue that Psalm 20, without Psalm 22, we aren't walking through that valley with Him at our side. But the beautiful thing is, is that we are. That's what Lent and Easter points us towards. And so in our lives, maybe we do that cost-benefit analysis. But in Christ, you were worth it. So maybe from a question of why to an answer. You are why. Your forgiveness is why. Your life is why. Your kids are why. Your neighbors are why. This world is why. Why? Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. It's also why we are forgiven and freed to sing of God's praises. Amen.